We did that for four years in Nepal. Anyway, since the last time we were here, I counted up 180 hours of teaching and preaching in other nations. So we, we taught in five different Bible schools, and uh, I think we were in five different nations, if you include Canada, and we should, probably should include Canada. They're our friends to the north. <laughs> Amen. And I want to show you a video, because that'll save a lot of time. You know, one picture's worth a thousand words. So let's roll that video, and, and when you're looking at it, pay attention to the people and the places, and, and get, get, these, get these people in your heart. Because they need your prayers. Uh, they, there is an awesome move of God going on around the world. But most of the places we go, Jesus is barely known. We're going into more of the remote, remote places. The name of our ministry is Ends of the Earth Ministries. And the places where we go, if that's not the end, you can see it from there. <laughs> so, so let's go ahead and roll this video. Maybe a little more volume on the music. We're shaking off the dust as we arise. Awake, awake, our generation cries. Salvation song will ring throughout the earth. And every eye will see you match this world.
Jesus. We just respond to you tonight, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We respond to the Holy Spirit. We respond to you right now. There's such a faith in this room tonight because anything is possible with Jesus. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. There's no nation too close for Jesus. There's no heart too hard for Jesus. There's no school that's too hard for Jesus. He's already won the war. There's a yes in our hearts. And it carries through eternity. Simple obedience. It changes history. There's a yes in our hearts. And it carries through eternity. Simple obedience. Come on and change. That gives you a little bit of an idea, but let me explain a little bit. Uh, this past year, we were four months in Thailand, and we were running an a, a AFCM Bible school there. Actually, we were doing two schools, and we brought ten instructors over, and uh, the instructor would teach in English. He'd have an interpreter standing right next to him, and while that's going on, we're recording it on state-of-the-art audio and video equipment so that when we're gone... They can go ahead and duplicate this school and send it to any church in, in Thailand or in Burma because one of the languages we were doing is a Burmese language, a Shan language. And so any church in those nations that want a Bible school, they can have it. It's on, it'll be on video. Now we're fixing. Well, I, I guess I'm not in the South, but I can still say that. We, we are a fixing to do the same thing in Nepal. So we'll go over in August. We'll spend four months in, in well, maybe three months in Nepal. We'll run the, the Bible school again in the Nepali language getting it recorded, and then we can send it all over Nepal. And so that, that's what we're doing, you know, large, uh, on a large scale. Smaller scale, we're, we're going into these nations and holding pastors' conferences, leadership conferences. You know, in the Philippines, we've got 42 Bible schools up and running. We, we've got over 50 that are part of our organization now, 50 pastors and 50 churches. One of these guys, we call him Bishop Gotti, because he's over 120 churches. And he's really good at starting, getting churches started and raising up leadership to take the church and run with it. But he looked at our video Bible school and he said, you know what, that can really help me. That can, cut my, that can really help so save me a whole bunch of time. And so he started nine of them simultaneously. He just went, okay, nine of you guys, you're having the Bible school. And away it goes, <laughs> which is just awesome. Now, we did, a, we did conferences in the Philippines. We did four of them in four different cities. And uh, the first one is the major one. We, we get over 200 people come to that one. And the, they asked me, okay, 
they, uh, Pastor Dana, they call me pastor, even though, I, you know, I'm, I haven't pastored for a while. I'm, I'm basically an itinerant missionary. People wonder, what, what are you? I'm an itinerant missionary. I blow into a country, give them all that I got, and then go to another one. But uh, they asked me, what should we, the theme be of this conference? What should we call it? And I said, every church a missions church. I mean, you're asking me, that's what you're going to get. Every, and so every message was themed along that line. And on the last night, I gave an invitation for people that had it on their heart to be cross-cultural ministers, to go to another nation. We had over 30 people come up just a weeping and a crying, and the anointing was so strong. And I know, I know these Filipinos are going to go to another nation. They're going to go to another culture, and they're going to preach the Word of God over there, which is exactly what we want to happen. That's what we want. In fact, the, the Filipinos are sending their first missionary in August. <laughs> a girl. And she's going to tough Indonesia. She's going to a Muslim place. And man, she is going to preach. She's going to cause some, she is going to cause a, a, a change in Indonesia. Glory to God. Anything else I needed to say? Oh, uh, I'm actually going Wednesday. I go to Peru. And so on, on Sunday, which is Easter, I'll be preaching three Easter services. Well, actually, I'm going to do one Saturday night and then two on Sunday morning. Same church. It's a jamming church in Cusco, Peru. It's at 11,000 feet, so it's a little high. I'm going to have to watch my, you know, so I don't get too, too or I might be on the floor because 11,000 feet, the oxygen's a little thin. <laughs> and I've even had them warn me, you know, if you're one of them preachers like to run and jump and shout, you might want to tone it down a little bit or we'll be picking you up off the floor. <laughs> Unless you're used to this thin air. And so, three services. Now, Latin America, Easter's a big deal. I mean, a big deal all over. So, we're advertising. We're expecting packed-out crowds, all three services. There are going to be a whole bunch of people get saved. A whole bunch of people get impacted with, with the, the glory of God. A whole bunch of people getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. I mean, it's going to be fun. And from 11,000 feet, I go down to the jungle. I go down to Iquitos, Peru, on the Amazon jungle, where we're going to do a leadership conference there. So if you'd be praying for that, that starts next week, Wednesday. Liz is staying home for that one, and I told her, I don't mind if you stay home on the short trips, but you're going with me on the long ones. <laughs> I come back from Peru. Ten days later, I'm off to Thailand and Vietnam. So if you'd be praying for me, in Thailand, I'm teaching two more courses in two different Bible schools there, and then I go to Vietnam. Now, I'm going into Da Nang, which I have not been to before. We've got, uh, right now, three Bible schools running in Vietnam. They're not video schools. These are live schools. And so I try to get in there twice a year to, to teach in, you know, in, in as many schools as I've got time to do. This year, our, our Vietnamese guys have started a new church and a new Bible school in Da Nang. And if you'd be praying for me going into Da Nang, because it is infamous for persecuting Christians and shutting down churches. I mean, it, it is famous for it. I say infamous because it's, it's famous in a bad way. I mean, they're shutting, they're, they're, they're you know, arresting Christians, and, and so they're going to have to hide me. I'm gonna, I'll fly into Da Nang, and then they'll pick me up, and they'll take me to the place where they're doing the Bible school and the church, and I won't leave until I'm done. The students come in, they don't leave until they're done. Till they're done, you know, that, that kind of helps people not realize what's going on here, you know. And so if you'd be praying for me, that'd be awesome because I don't, wanna, I don't want them to catch me. If they catch me, they'll arrest me, they'll fine me $10,000, they'll put me on an airplane, and they'll put me on a list that says you can't come back. So I don't want that. And so if you, please be praying. You know, one time I was there, I think it was right after we were here, 
went to Vietnam in, in Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai? Who knows? I can't say these names. I'm telling you. <laughs> but I was in the Bible school there, and the police did raid it. They hid me in a closet. They stuck me in a closet. The little guy that was taking me to, he was kind of the associate pastor. The little guy about that tall. Doesn't know any English, doesn't speak any English. He grabbed me by the arm, and he puts me in this closet, and he finds a chair for me so I could sit, because he says it could be a while. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and he puts his hands on my shoulders and looks me right in the eye. Doesn't speak English, but he knows one Hebrew word. He says, shalom. Just chill. I knew what he meant. Just Just chill. It'll be all right. And it was. Praise God. So please be praying. All right. You ready for the word? Proper responses. I was born ready. (laughs) Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Your Bible, your your smartphone, your iPad, whatever, whatever kind of gadget you're using. I don't think a dumb phone will do it. Probably have to have a smart one. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1. How many of you in here know what it means to get your needs met by faith in the Word of God? Am I, am I in, in the right place? I thought I was. I mean, it's great when you receive healing by standing on the Word of God. Great to receive it by faith. It's wonderful when you get your needs met in a supernatural way. I mean, that's just awesome. I mean, we could stop and we could have testimony time, and everybody probably have one. Right? It is a faith adventure when you're in trouble to stand on the promise of God and step out of that trouble and right on into victory. Faith adventure. Now, as good as those things are, and they are awesome, as good as those things are, I believe God has revealed in his word that he's got something even better for us. (laughs) Now, you might be thinking, man, that's a tall statement you just made. That's quite the thing. Well, it's a life so powerful that it exceeds anything that you could ever ask, think, or desire. It's a life so full of light that when you walk into a room, darkness runs. Now, I realize there, there's probably some religious people that would rather I didn't talk like that, but I don't think any of them are in here. <laughs> because as far as they're concerned, this life on earth is miserable, and that's the way it's supposed to be. They even sing songs about it, you know, how miserable it is, you know, we're just trudging through the heat and the cold. And, and then at the end, well, they all, you know, the heaven and there's Jesus. They think that you can only have the good life once you get to heaven, Right? These are the same ones that'll say, well, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. Why are they saying that? Because they don't know what the Word of God says. They don't understand that we can get our hopes up. That we, because they think, well, you know, don't get your hopes up because you never know what God's going to do. He works in mysterious ways. For whatever reason, he healed brother so-and-so. But then over here, he didn't heal that one. So you never know what he's going to do. They don't know. We do. We got his word. We got his promises. We know what his will is because he wrote it down for us. The New Testament, his last will. I mean, it is his will. It is desire. We can find out what he wants us to do. They don't want to get your hopes up, but I'm telling you this morning, that is why I'm here. I am here to get your hopes up. I want your hopes so high, we got to pull you off the ceiling. Amen. 
Now, when I talk about hope, I'm not talking about the weak, wishy-washy kind that the world talks about. I'm talking about real Bible hope, the kind that you can talk about here, the, the, the kind that Paul was talking about here in Philippians chapter 1. Let's read verse 19. It says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and hope. Now hold up there. Those terms, earnest expectation and hope, are coming from two Greek words, both of which can be accurately translated as hope, both of which are accurately translated as hope in other places. Paul put them together for emphasis. And if you study those two words, you'll find out that they meet a confident expectation, a joyful anticipation of good, an eager longing, a strained expectancy... They refer to an expectation that is so strong that it absorbs most all of your attention. Now, if you know how to live by faith, you've experienced that kind of hope. I mean, maybe you were sick at some point, and so you set your hope on Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, that says, Surely He has borne our sickness and carried our pains, and by His stripes we are healed. You set your hope on that. You, and then you went ahead and started thinking it. You started saying it. You got other healing scriptures and you began to meditate on it until you began to see an inner image of yourself healed and whole. And as that image became more crisp, more clear, you then began to have an expectancy. You began to have a hope that that was going to happen. Eventually, your faith grew and put substance to that picture that you were seeing. So you had an image of yourself healed and whole, and finally, as you fed your faith, it grew up and produced a harvest. It caused that internal image to become an external reality. And what you did, what you did really was activate Hebrews 11.1. You know that one. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is what? It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Amen. See, the word sown into your heart plants faith. Faith then grows and mature while hope keeps it focused, keeps it directed until your faith is mature enough to produce a harvest. Now, I gave you a quick little lesson on faith and hope that I could ask you this question. In light of all that God has promised us, promised us in his word, what are you and I to hope for? What should we be expecting? What inner image should be so consuming that it's almost all that we can see? Now go with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. As we've said, healing is great. Financial supply, wonderful, awesome. But could it be that God's got something even more important for us to fix our hope hope on? Well, I believe he does. And I believe we can find it right here in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Look what it says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
Now read that last part with me again. It says we're to rejoice in the hope or in the expectation of the glory of God. So we're to expect the glory, not just the healing. We're to expect the glory, not just the financial prosperity. See, because if you're expecting the glory, you're raising your spiritual sights a little bit higher. You're raising your little... Why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. It's because it's not just about you. It's not just about you getting your blessing. It's about you being blessed so that you can be a blessing like it says right there. And when you elevate your spiritual sights to expect the glory, then that glory is going to begin to manifest through you. It's going to begin to impact those that are around you. There's going to be healings galore. There's going to be signs and wonders. There's going to be salvations and people baptized in the Holy Ghost. We're going to have revival right here in Montana. That's what he's after. Amen. Expect the glory. When we begin to expect the glory, when we begin to build our hope for the glory of God, we'll be doing the works that Jesus did. (laughs) Isn't that what he said we should be doing? He said, and these same works that you be doing, and greater works. I'm going off to my Father. I'll send you another one just like me. I'll send you the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. Oh, I get excited about this. Maybe you can figure that out. (laughs) See, we'll begin living like who we really are. Who are we? We are joint heirs with Christ. We're not co-heirs. You know, a co-heir, you know what that would be? Everybody gets a little slice. No, we're joint heirs. Everything he inherited is ours. (laughs) Whew! And where is he right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Man, there is glory there. There is so much glory there. Jesus inherited all the glory. And so did we. Hallelujah. But now, what do we mean by glory? You know, Brother Savelle gave a really good definition of it over in in, in Missoula on Friday. But this this is a big concept. It's a big word. And it's kind of hard to put it all into words. But God gives us glimpses of it all the way through the Bible. The first time glory is even mentioned is in the book of Genesis. And it's referring to the wealth of God. So, according to the law of first reference, the glory includes the wealth of God. And Philippians 4.19 confirms that idea. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So God's glory must include his wealth, but it's so much more than that. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines the glory of God as the weighty importance and shining majesty that accompanies God's presence. The word glory literally means heavyweight and has been defined to mean heavy laden with everything that is good. God is heavy with every good thing that you could ever want or need. He's so heavy with healing that if everybody in the world that needed healing went to him at the same time, nobody would have to wait because he got tired or because he ran out of healing. No, man, he is heavy with healing. (laughs) Glory to God. But again, what is this glory? Well, in the book of Exodus, God's glory could be seen going before the children of Israel in a, in a pillar of fire by, by night and a cloud of covering by day. 
Habakkuk saw God's glory and described it like lightning, like shafts of splendor that streamed from his hands. Kind of like that one. When Ezekiel saw the glory of God, he saw God and he was on fire from the loins up and he was on fire from the loins down. Pretty much covered him. (laughs) I don't know why he just didn't say that. The, he had a belt on. The, the, the fire of God's called the glory. The wind of God's called the glory. The vapor, the cloud, the smoke of God called the glory. The fullness of God's presence called the glory. It's all the glory because the glory of God refers to the supernatural life and essence of God. It's even been said that glory is the very power that makes God God. Think about that. Now, at this point, somebody might be, you probably wouldn't say it, you might be thinking, now wait a minute, that kind of glory is reserved just for God. Because what about that? Don't touch the glory. You've heard that. Don't, don't touch the glory. You know what that means? That means don't take credit for what God did. That's all that means. And people that say, well, you know, we're not, that kind of, that's just reserved for God. Well, not according to the Bible. In fact, Psalm chapter 8 and verse 5 tells us that in in the beginning, man was crowned with that very glory. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were not naked, at least to begin with. God had crowned them with the same fire and light that covers God himself. You You know what it means to crown? It means to anoint. And so God came down to the garden and, you know, in the cool of the day, probably, you know, he he likes the cool of the day. He laid his hands on their heads. He crowned them. He anointed them. He clothed them with the same fire and light that clothes God himself. So they weren't just standing out there naked to the elements. They were surrounded and protected by a shimmering force field of light. Of God's glory. Now go with me to Romans 6. Romans 6. That glory was lost to mankind at the fall. You know, most people know that. And after the fall, it just kept going, right? Because the scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Most people know that, you know, we got cut off from the glory. But what most people don't realize is that access, everybody say access. Access to this glory was restored when Jesus was resurrected. Look with me, Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, everybody say even so, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So, what does that mean? Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, or by the same glory, you and I should be walking in newness of life. So according to the Word of God, you and I are supposed to be walking in the glory. Now, what what would that look like? Well, we can get a glimpse of it by looking at what happened to Peter. You know, I I think it's Acts, Acts 5 and right around in verse 15 where it talks about how they bring the sick people out into the streets and lay them on a bed so that maybe the shadow of Peter could fall on them. And the, and the inference is that they get healed if that had happened. 
I'm pretty sure it wasn't the shadow of Peter that was healing him. I think it was just the proximity of, of Peter's glory cloud. <laughs> I think that if he just got close enough to him, that glory on him, jump off on them and get him healed. <laughs> and if you keep reading a couple of verses later, that's kind of what it's saying. People getting healed because, and see, so it kind of looks like that. You know, you can read about some of the old timers, people like Smith Wigglesworth. He used to, a couple of times in a couple of his books, he'd, he'd get on a train, and in England, they, where he lived, they'd have these compartments, these trains with the compartments, right? And compartment had, you know, four to six people, whatever. He'd get into that compartment, he'd sit down, he wouldn't say a word. He'd just go in there and sit down, and people start shaking in their seats. And eventually, one of them would call out, Sir, you convict me of sin. What must I do to be saved? Well, what was it? It was the glory of God that was surrounding him, and he'd just walk in. Like I said, you know, you get, you get this light on you to the degree that when you walk in a room, darkness runs. Now, I can remember here in Montana. It was a few years ago. I was preaching, uh, I, don't, I think it was in Roundup of all places, Preaching in a church there, and, and it, I mean, it was, it was powerful. I, we, were, we were having some Holy Ghost stuff going on for, for a couple of days. And I was given an invitation for salvation, and I look, and, and here's, here's this young guy sitting in his chair, and he's just vibrating. I mean, you can't do that on your own. <laughs> you can't fake it. I mean, this, this dude, I mean, he was just literally bouncing in his chair. Well, he freaked out, jumped up, ran out of the room. <laughs> but somebody in the church that knew something went after him. Praise God. Amen. Coaxed him back in, and he, he received the Lord. But see, that, that, these are just examples. We've been in other places in other nations. We're ministering. I'm not even ministering on healing. I'm ministering on somebody, something else. I give an invitation. People come up, and later we found out this one got healed, that one got healed, this one got healed. We weren't ministering healing. That glory was getting them healed. You know, I don't, I don't know that Peter was consciously walking down the street going, I'm going to get them healed just by walking by. I don't, <laughs> I don't think he was doing that. It was just happening. Amen. That's what God put hope in you and me to expect. Not just the healing. Not just our own needs, uh, financial prosperity. Those things are good and those things are available to us. But if we'll go ahead and lift our expectations higher than that. He wants us to expect the glory and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because there's people all around you in this community and surrounding communities that need a touch of God. They need a touch of His healing power. They need a touch of His presence. And you are His ambassador to take it to them. Revival's going to happen. It's happening in other nations. It's going on in the Philippines. I love going there. I'm telling you what, that church is alive. It's excited. It's young. It's vibrant. It's full of energy. Man, they're just saying, show me where the heathen are. I'll go after them. It's places like that where they, they put teams together. They train them a little bit and then send them to a, a village that doesn't have a church. And they tell them, when you get into that village, ask where their sick people are. And when you get to the sick people, go ahead and lay your hands on them and get them healed. And then they'll want to know who did that. And so you just go ahead and lead them into the Lord and we'll start a church. It's happening. <laughs> Glory to God. 
He wants us to expect the glory. Because it's not just about you. He's wanting us to expect the glory, build our faith for the glory, start exercising our faith for the harvest. You know, Jesus talked about two, di- two different individuals that had great faith. A lot of times he would say, hey, what? you got no faith. <laughs> you got little faith. But twice he talked about somebody having great faith. In both of those situations, they were using their faith to believe for somebody else. That's where we're going. And see, if we'll go ahead and expect the glory, we'll have all the rest. Because there's healing in the glory. There's prosperity in the glory. Everything that you could ever want, need, or desire is in the glory. It's heavy with everything that is good. And here's a newsflash. The glory of God's not just off in heaven somewhere. I mean, it is. That's a glorious place. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But it's also inside of you. Well, how can that be? Well, it's a bit of a mystery, and Paul tells us about it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. You know, you probably ain't going to get there in time. Let me just read it to you. You can write down the reference. Colossians 1, 26, 27. It says, This mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery amongst the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, The hope of glory. There it is again. And do you realize what this is saying? It's saying that the very glory of God that raised Jesus from the dead is living on the inside of you. If you're born again, it's on the inside of you. The glory of God is in you. The life of God is in you. The love of God is in you. The blessing of God is in you. Jesus is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Jesus even said the very kingdom of God is inside of you. Amen. All of that was put in you when you were born again. And it ought to be flowing out of you to the lost and dying all around you. Well, why isn't it? Pause for dramatic effect. (laughs) Let me rephrase it. Why isn't more of it? Because really, consider this, anytime you're getting somebody born again, it's flowing out of you. Anytime you're getting somebody healed, it's flowing out of you. Anytime you're serving in the church, it is flowing out of you. But what God is telling us in this day and hour, he wants to increase the flow. He wants it to to become exceeding. He wants the greater glory to be here in the church today. Now, why isn't it, or why isn't it more? Well, there's several factors involved if we have time this morning. I think we do. We'll look at another key, which is called obedience. But an important factor is really what I've been talking about. We've never really developed an expectancy for it. Oh, we've talked about it. We said, yes, amen, the glory of God's going to cover the earth like the water covers the sea, you know, and the, and the, the water covers the sea really well. So yes, amen, the glory of God's going to cover the earth like the water covers the sea. And then we just sit back and say, well, you know, anytime, God. Because we got this idea that it's only going to happen when God opens up the windows of heaven and pours it out again. And then we, we even say, well, when he starts pouring it out, I'm going to get under the spout where the glory comes out. And I'm going I'm to have that glory. 
Well, I believe God is going to pour out His glory more than He has been. I do believe that there is this end-time anointing, this end-time glory coming. But yet, what's He waiting for? He's waiting for you and me. It's like He's up there sitting in heaven and saying, Wait, Come on, y'all. I gave it to you on the inside. And when you start using what you got on the inside, I'll go ahead and top you off. You start using what you got on the inside, I'll give you more. We had an instructor at Raymond when I was there. He said, if he said it once, he said it a hundred times. He said, God will get it to you if he can get it through you. <laughs> you want more glory operating in your life? Well, start using what you got. Start letting it pour out of you. Start building your expectation. You know, if you'll go ahead and hope for the glory, if you'll go ahead and then feed on the scriptures talking about the glory, you build your faith on it, it'll go ahead and take that inner image, that, that, that picture that you got, your hope, you'll put substance to it, and, there, and it'll be a manifestation. You start doing that, it'll take what's on the inside where you can't see it, bring it to the outside where the manifestation can be seen by plenty. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, there's other factors involved. We've talked about hope and expectancy, faith, other factors involved, and we'll begin to wrap this up this morning by looking at obedience. Now, turn with me to Haggai chapter 2. Is this a Haggai church or a Haggai church? Haggai, all right. <laughs> Every church says it's different, kind of. You know, it's all right. You can say it any way you want. That's the way I look at it. Haggai, chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses from Haggai concerning the glory of God, which will then lead us to the importance of obedience. Haggai, chapter 2. We're going to read verse 9. I've been reading out of the New King James Version. Verse 9 says, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now, much of what is said in Haggai has dual application. What's that mean? Well, it applied, it applied to the people of Israel during Haggai's day, but it also applies to the church. And it's saying here, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. Well, it applied in Haggai's day, but it applies today in the church. Obviously, the church has, has and will experience more of the glory of God, new covenant, rather than old covenant. You know, let, let me read, listen to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7 and 8. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, and it was, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? And so we see then that the, there's going to be more glory or greater glory in the latter house than the former. Now you can even say it this way too. You could say, well, there was glory in the early church. I mean, God, on the day of Pentecost, God poured out His glory. He poured out His Spirit. They, they all got filled. They had cloven tongues of fire on their head. I mean, they all started speaking in other tongues, and, and God started rapid fire building His church. And some of the people will even say, well, see, God poured out His Spirit then, and He did it. We don't, it's, it's over with. That, that's it. God had to do that in order to get the church started, and we don't need that anymore. And I just look at them and say, well, now, hold on. 
God needed his spirit to be involved and the glory to be involved in the early church to get it started. He don't need that to get it finished. (laughs) Hang on, man. There's 7.5 billion people living on this planet. (laughs) That's not an accident. That's God's design. Did you know there are more people living today than have lived all through history until today? Google that. That's what I did. It's, and it's kind of hard to get your thinking around. There's more, you mean there's more people alive today than have lived throughout history? Add them all together? Yeah. That's not an accident. That's God's design. Why? He really does love people. He just loves them, and he, and he wants this huge family. We've got to think bigger. He, he want, and there's still two billion of them that haven't even heard the name of Jesus even once. You don't think we need the glory of God and the Spirit of God and manifestation to get these two billion that haven't ever even heard the name of Jesus? They got to hear. What's God waiting for? What, why isn't Jesus already taking us out of here? Well, James 5 says he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. People. He's not coming until he gets all the people he can get. Here's what I know. My father, God's the best farmer there ever was or will be. And he planted his best seed. He sowed his only begotten son into planet earth, and he's not calling it quits until he gets the biggest harvest he can get. I mean, he designed it this way. And how are we going to reap this huge harvest of billions and billions of people? It's going to take the glory of God. It's going to take the anointing of God. It's going to take everybody in the church getting involved with end-time harvest. Amen. So, in these last days, we can't just sit around waiting to see what God's going to do. We've got to get a revelation of what what God wants us to do and do it. You know, as we travel North America, I told you we did, what, 180 hours of teaching overseas and probably about five months over there. But when we're not doing that, we are traveling coast to coast here in America. I think we're in, I don't know, 40 churches last year. And uh, I'm beginning to see that A lot of people that call themselves Word of Faith, Charismatic, Pentecostal, Full Gospel, don't care what kind of label you put on it, a lot of them have let this glory of God business slip a bit. Some of them a lot. But we must not do as the children of Israel did. They lost their enthusiasm concerning the glory of God. What do I mean? Well, when Haggai wrote this, The children of Israel have been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. They got permission to go back to to Israel. They got there. God gave them one assignment. He said, you rebuild my temple. Why did he want his temple rebuilt? Because in old covenant times, God, his glory had to dwell in a temple. Now, in New Testament times, we know... If we're born again, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The glory of God moves on the inside of us. But in those days, they needed to rebuild that temple so the glory of God could move into that temple, and they became apathetic about it. They, 16 years after they got there, they still hadn't started building the temple. What, what, are, what have they been doing? Well, they got more interested in their own houses and in their own natural affairs, the affairs of everyday life. And so God spoke through Haggai in chapter 1 and verse 2 through 4. Listen to what he says. 
Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying to this people, saying, this people says, and you know it's not going to be good after that. This people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, it is time for you, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Let me paraphrase that. Y'all have been building your nice fancy houses and you haven't done a thing to build my house. What are you doing? <laughs> They'd had 16 years to start and to do it, and they hadn't done it. Now, God's not against us living in nice houses, but it's far more important that we build His house. Now, when we're talking New Testament times, talking about building His house, we're not talking a church building. We're talking about advancing his kingdom. We're talking about increasing the size of the family of God. Way more important that we're involved in that than we are in our own personal stuff. And if we're more involved in our own personal stuff, then we're not putting first things first. And until we put first things first, I don't know that we're going to see the greater manifestations of the glory, like what he wants. See, maybe we need to let some things go that we've been holding on to. I'm concerned that there's people all across America that are scared or afraid of following the perfect will of God for their lives because they think it might, you know, make them miss out on some kind of earthly blessing. Well, here's what I know. You go ahead and follow the will of God for your life, it'll be better than what you you ever held on to. You know, and I, I can say it by experience. My wife and I, twice, we got rid of everything we owned, sold it, gave it away, moved to the other side of the world, and believed God to live there and to minister there. I mean, we came back, we came back from Nepal after being there four years straight, hadn't come back once. Four years straight, all we had was a couple of suitcases. That was it. I think we had a couple hundred bucks in our pocket and bought an old beater car. Yeah, 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 and at one point, after we bought an old beater car, I, I think I had 50 bucks in my pocket. Went to, went to an AFCM meeting in Billings, Montana. I'll never forget it. They were taking up an offering. I got 50 bucks in my pocket. That's it. That's all we had. Lord said, give it. God, I don't, that's all I got. And he says, I know it. <laughs> Go ahead and give it. And I gave it. And so now we got two suitcases, an old beater car, <laughs> and that's it. And then what God do? Man, he just blessed us, blessed us, blessed us. We did it again. We moved to Siberia, to Russia. Got rid of everything, came back. We didn't even have a car this time. We had no money for a car. And uh, the first church we were ministering in, and preaching, preaching away, and afterwards a guy came up to me and said, uh, the Lord told me to give you my car. I said, cool. <laughs> so we got the keys and we, we drove away. I'd tell you about the car, but that's... I would digress. But see, some people, they're scared. Well, if I follow the perfect will of God, I might miss out on some earthly benefit. Whoop-de-doo. You can't outgive God. I mean, if he tells you to go halfway around the world and you obey, he'll bless you. He'll make sure. I mean, you've got scriptural promises that if you'll go ahead and do that, if you'll leave mother and father and houses and lands and everything for the kingdom of God and for his sake, he'll give back unto you a hundredfold now in this time, houses and lands and sisters and brothers and children and, and goes on and on. 
We're living proof that it works. Now listen to what Jesus says about this. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then what? All these things will be added unto you. And if you read that verse in context, it's talking about food and clothes and shelter. Everything that the Gentiles are running after. Amen. But see, in Haggai, we're not done. We're getting close. In Haggai, we can read that the children of Israel were planting, and yet they didn't have enough to eat. What's up with that? Listen to it. Haggai 1, verse 6. I'm going to read it out of the NIV because it says it really good. It says, you have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Well, what was the problem? They were sowing. Sowing's good, right? I mean, sowing's good. You, you, get, you got the principle of, of sowing and reaping all the way through the Bible, the, the principle of seed time and harvest. You can find that all the way through the Bible. So sowing's good, but they were sowing without putting the things of God ahead of their own. They were not putting first things first, and because of that, their sowing wasn't working for them. Jesus said, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and all these things that you're seeking after, it'll be added unto you. Well, what is the kingdom of God and his righteousness that we're supposed to be seeking? You know, I'm a real simple guy. I like to boil things down and really make them simple. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you can boil it down to this. Do God's will and do it God's way. If you'll do that, I'm telling you, the blessings will just overtake you. They'll run you down and jump on you. Amen. See, the, the children of Israel, instead of seeking God first, instead of seeking his righteousness and his kingdom first, they, they were all caught up in their own stuff, building nice houses. And because of that, they didn't have enough to eat. They didn't have warm clothes. They didn't have good shelter. Well, they had good shelter. That's what they were doing. <laughs> Here's the bottom line. They intended to rebuild the temple. Fully intended, I'm sure. But they hadn't got it done. Now, what can we as a church learn from that? What has God told us as a church? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, he gave us the Great Commission. We're to go preach this gospel to every creature, and we're to go ahead and make disciples of every nation. And that word nation's coming from the Greek word ethos, and it means every tongue, every tribe, every people group, every nation. We've had 2,000 years almost to get this done, and we still haven't done it. And so what do we need to be doing? We need to be taking the gospel. Right now, there are 7,000. Everybody say 7,000. 7,000 tribes, tongues, languages, people groups that do not have a church in their culture, nor do they have a Bible in their language. Half of them have never even heard the name of Jesus even once. So that adds up to 2 billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus even once. God has given us a job. And we can't be like the children of Israel and put our own stuff first while that still is left undone. No, we got to go ahead and do what God's told us to do. And if we'll, if we'll get involved with that, that's, we're, 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 we're raising our spiritual sights higher than just getting our own needs met 
and just getting the needs of our community met and just getting the needs of our region met. No, we're lifting our eyes up to every church being a mission church, every church being involved in missions because these tribes need to come in. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, he said, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to each and every nation, tongue, tribe, and people group. And then the end will come. End's not coming until these tribes come in. Now listen, it can happen easy. It can happen quick. It's going to happen quick. How do I know it's going to happen quick? Because every sign that you can see is pointing to the return of Jesus. Oh, it's got to happen, and it's got to happen quick. And how is it going to happen quick? It's going to happen quick when we raise our expectations for the glory of God to be in manifestation. We start using the glory that's on the inside of us. It'll start manifesting on the outside of us. And God will go, whoo let me in on the party. And he'll begin to flow with that glory like never before. The glory of God is going to cover. The knowledge of the glory of God's going to cover this earth like the water covers the sea. Every tongue and tribe is going to come in. But we got to be involved. we got to be involved with it. Amen. God's not against his kids having stuff. He's just against stuff having his kids. (laughs) Amen. Now, we've seen that throughout history, when when the people of God are willing and obedient, God is faithful to manifest his glory on their behalf. We can also see consistently that when the glory of God was in manifestation... It was always a time of revelation and change. Now, we're going to close with this. Can you handle two more verses? Uh, I don't see anybody saying no, and if I did, I'd just forget it anyway. Second Corinthians. <laughs> don't ask. Second Corinthians 3, we're going to read, look at two verses. Verse 13, it says, Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. See, that's kind of interesting. Moses would go up and get into the presence of God, and he'd just start shining. I mean, he'd just just be a-glowing. And when he came down initially, he came down, and people look at him and go, Oh, man, Moses, can you tone down the glare? (laughs) And so he put a veil so that, you know, they could look at him. But then it kind of implies he left the veil so they couldn't see that it was fading. See, because it would fade. When he'd get away from the presence of God, it would fade. Well, there's a lesson to be learned there. We could preach a whole sermon on that. But jump down to verse 18. And in your own time, read everything in between because it's really good. Verse 18. But we all with unveiled face. Everybody say unveiled face. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed, everybody say transformed, into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so first of all, I want you to notice where it says transformed. We're transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What image? Same image as Jesus. See, I'm convinced when, when we start acting more like Jesus, talking more like Jesus, Looking more like Jesus to the world, we'll have more of his glory flowing through us. Transformed into the same image from glory to glory. See, that implies that there should be an ongoing action taking place. 
It does not say you have been transformed. If it did, it would mean that it's already happened. No, and in terms of our walking in his likeness, if it had already happened, then where we're at today would be as good as it gets, and it ain't nowhere near as good as it needs to be. The NIV says we're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And I like the Amplified. It says from one degree of glory to another. Transformed. So this is an ongoing process. We get transformed from one degree, and then, hey, there's another degree. And there's another degree. And I'm, I'm convinced it goes like this. Another degree, another degree, another degree. And then we hear the trumpet blast, and we get caught up to meet the Lord in the air. <laughs> Glorified body. And for those of us that have been transformed from one degree to another, it ain't going to be such a big shock. For some, it's going to be surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) All right, I digress. One more look at the phrase, with unveiled face beholding. We should be able to look at the glory of God with unveiled face beholding. Now, in Exodus 34, when Moses climbed that Mount Sinai, received those Ten Commandments, he, was so, he, he got so bright, as I've already said, he had to wear a veil. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says that we can behold God's glory with unveiled face. In other words, nothing should be blocking our view of God's glory. And now, let me, let me wrap it up with a natural illustration of that. Let's just suppose that you're, you've taken a nice hot shower and, and your bathroom doesn't have a really good exhaust system. You're, you step out of a nice hot shower and now you want to look in the mirror, but you can't. Why? It's all fogged up. In order for you to see clearly in that mirror, you're going to have to wipe the fog. We need to see the glory of God as in a mirror clearly. And if there's anything blocking the view... You need to wipe it off the mirror. You need to get it out of your life. Whatever's blocking the view, whatever's plugging the pipe, God is saying right now, right here, right now. See, in revival, the first ones to get revived are the people of God. You got to be vibed before you can be revived. You got to be born again before you can be revived. Then through revival, that power goes out and all kinds of people get saved and healed and all of that. But we've got to be revived. And so really what we're talking about is getting rid of anything in your life that's hindering you from seeing clearly the glory of God. And here's what I know. Here's what I know about God. He's not asking you to do anything that he won't help you do. And so if you've got stuff in your life that's blocking, you've got stuff in your life that's hindering the glory of God, you're being able to see God clearly. You know, it might be some old habit. It might be who knows what it is. I don't need to know. You, it's that, that's between you and God. Or here's also what happens a lot of times. God's trying to talk to you, but there's just so much fog in the mirror, you can't hear it, you can't see it. He's trying to talk to you. Well, you, you got to get your hand on that mirror and wipe it clean. And, and here's what I know. You put your hand and you start doing that, God puts his hand right on top of it. He helps you get rid of it. And at the same time, he begins to reveal his glory more and more. You know, we've been saying, show Show me your glory. Well, part of that is on our, resp- our responsibility too. We got to get, got to get the mirror clean so that we can see it. That's on us. There's always a man's side and a God's side. God always does his side. He's just waiting on us to do our side. 
So here's what I, I believe the Lord wants us to do right now. If you've got some stuff in your life that you know, you, you, you know it's there. You know that it's been blocking. It's been holding things back and inter, interfering with your fellowship with the Lord. Or, you know, God's trying to talk to you about something, but you just can't quite, can't quite see it. I just can't quite hear it. I don't really know what he's saying. I, I know he's talking to me, but I can't quite hear what he's saying. Well, on either count, if, if, that's, if that's witnessing to your heart, I'd like to lay hands on you. Because there can be an impartation of his power, an impartation of his glory. It's like God putting his hand on your hand while you're getting rid of that. And when you have that going on, it gets, it, it gets rid of. And at the same time, if you need healing in your body, you watch. It'll come that way too. So if, if, this, is, if this is witnessing to your heart, then I'd encourage you to stand up and we'd like to lay hands on you. Liz will help me. He's a really good prayer partner. He's a good hands layer on her person. <laughs> and, and just just let me warn you a little bit. We've been doing this overseas. We've been doing it coast to coast, and the power of God's been a manifestation. You know, but don't don't come up and, and well, let's see what happens. See if anything happens. Don't no no. Come up expecting. And when you're standing in line, you you can be praying in the Holy Ghost before we get to you. But once we get to you, quit praying because it's hard to. Re- Hard to receive when you're giving out. So when we get to you in the line, I want you to I want you to just make like a vacuum cleaner. I want you to just flip the switch and just try to pull everything you can get out of that anointing. Now you may feel something, you might not feel something. I, the big, some of the biggest miracles I ever see, nobody, nobody felt nothing. Didn't feel it go out of me, didn't feel it go into them, they didn't feel it go into them, but they got supernaturally healed. I mean in major stuff. Hallelujah. So feeling, you know, now it may happen. You may, you may discover yourself on the floor and you've been that way for 10 minutes or so. It can happen that way too. <laughs> now, what does it mean when somebody falls under the power of God? Well, it's real simple. God's power is stronger than human power. And so when his power overrides yours, you, then what? Just, just relax in it. Just receive it. Just let him work in you. Healing can come that way. The cleansing of the mirror can come that way. Much can come that way. So if this is witnessing to your heart, then go ahead and come forward. If you need something cleaned out of your life, you need your, you need your pipes cleaned a little bit, your mirror wiped down, you need to hear more clearly what God's got for you, you need healing in your body, none of that matters. To the glory of God, it's... It's all one thing. Is there anything too hard for God? The answer is no. There is not one thing that is too hard for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, in the Philippines, we saw the lame walk. We saw the deaf hear. We saw the blind eyes open. And a lot of times, we weren't even praying for that. It was just going on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, praise God, looks like we got most of the church up here.